Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Uh, Psalm 23 is a confidence psalm. That's what we said last week. It's not a psalm where David says, God, I want you to do this for me, or where, God, where David says, God, thank you for doing this for me. It's a psalm where David says, God, I'm expressing my confidence that you take good care of me and that you manage my life well. And I said, our desi- my desire for all of us over the course of this year is that wherever we are on the one to 10, you may be a three or you may be an eight, that our confidence would increase that Jesus takes good care of us and that he manages our life well. Again, wherever you are on that scale today, my hope and prayer and desire is that December 31st, you would say, I'm more confident today than I was at the beginning of the year that Jesus takes good care of me and that he manages my life well. One of the ongoing things that we're doing to help cultivate that sense of confidence in God's care and management of our life is corporately, we're, we're saying, let's read through the Bible this year. For some of you, you do this every year. For some of you, this would be the first time you've ever done it. I don't want you to be intimidated. It's, it's three or four chapters a day. You know, so you're talking maybe 15, 15 minutes or so. And there, there are multiple plans. There's a couple that you can look at on our website that are uh, corporate, where you can comment and interact with other people if that helps you stay engaged and stay focused. We'd invite you to do that, but you can certainly find a plan that, that you like and that works for you. Some of you, you started last week and you honestly, you've already dropped the ball and it's okay. This is what I want you to hear. Like get, get back on the bike. Don't say, well, I'll circle back in 2024. Not helpful. Some is better than none. It, some is always better than none. So at some point, for most of us, we're gonna hit a, you're going to hit Leviticus or something. There's going to be a wall and you're going to stop. And what I, want, I don't want you to quit. I just want you to pick back up wherever it is in the plan and just keep going. Reading some is better than reading none. So I don't want anybody to feel like I blew it, I failed, I'm out, I'm, I'll, you know, I'm not going to participate. Just get wherever you drop off. Just pick right back up and keep going. And again, over the course of the year, the hope would be that all of us read the Bible more and read the Bible more deeply than we have in the past. Good? All right, Psalm 23. I'm going to read the whole thing, but we're just going to focus on one verse today. The Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We said last week that the thesis statement for this psalm is verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's an older translation. Or or I I, I don't lack anything. And again, that's, we want to grow in our confidence that that is true of us. And I said, the rest of Psalm 23 are bullet points underneath that thesis statement. Today, we're going to look specifically and and exclusively at verse four. Even though I walk through the dark valley or the older translations through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Uh, One of the things that we talked about last week has been helpful for me is this book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, 
It's about 50 years old, written by a guy named Philip Keller, $7 on Amazon if you want to pick one up. We've ordered some more. The ones that we had last week have all gotten uh, taken. We, we ordered some more. I think they'll be here on Tuesday. So you can grab one if you come to the worship night on Wednesday or, or next Sunday. What, what's been helpful is I don't know anything about shepherds and I don't know anything about sheep. And so the metaphor is lost on me. And this guy, it's, it's a devotional book. It's not an academic book. And he's unpacking. Here's, here's what David may have had in mind. As someone who was a shepherd, and, and Philip Keller was, here's, what, here's, here's some of the background that he probably had in mind when he was writing Psalm 23. So let me give you a few insights on verse 4 from Keller. I thought this was super interesting. He said you can track Psalm 23 to a calendar, that shepherds keep their flocks not just moving kind of on their home range, but they actually move them into different parts of their region, that the first Three verses of chapter 23 are beginning of the year, we're on the home turf, and then end of the spring, beginning of the, fall, uh, beginning of the summer, excuse me, that, that's, that's verse four, that shepherds take their flocks up into the hills, into the mountains, to these high meadows. That's the table that's being prepared for them. And then verses five and six are the end of the summer and in the fall when they come back to the home range. So this idea of I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or I walk through this dark valley. Remember, shepherds are leading their sheep. So it's the shepherd actually leading the sheep into these dark valleys. Why is he doing that? Because those valleys are the ways to these heights. You'll see the pictures behind me of the, the Judean mountains. And then you can see specifically one of the valleys or it's like a rift that runs through or runs up those hills and mountains. And Sheep, sheep aren't rock climbers. That's not their thing. And so they need gradual slopes to get up to the heights. And it's through these valleys that that's how they get up to these, uh, these meadows that are high up in the mountains. And the shepherd is intentionally leading them there. That's where they're going to spend the summer grazing. These valleys or these rifts are not just the, the easiest way in terms of the, 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 the slope is gradual and gentle, it's also dangerous, and that's just kind of the reality in these valleys. They're narrow. The weather at that time from spring to summer is unpredictable, so you can have a, uh, a storm pop up, and the valley's going to be prone to flash flooding, prone to mudslides, prone to rock slides because of the topography. Predators can kind of hang out on the rim of those valleys, and they're difficult to see, and they can track the flock and then pounce on a sheep that's wandering away or maybe strays behind. And so even though they're, they're the best paths in terms of uh, gentle and gradual, they're also dangerous paths. And so Keller is saying in the midst of that, the sheep take comfort in the presence of the shepherd and in his equipment. He says these Middle Eastern shepherds, they're only taking two things with them when they go on these long treks up the mountains, their staff and their rod. So the rod is a, is a narrow club with a knob on the end that they, a, a skilled shepherd can throw like a spear. And so it's used for, for protection. If, if there's a predator that's 10 yards away, 15 yards away, 20 yards away, even more, these shepherds, again, they're skilled and they can fling this rod with a lot of speed and accuracy to drive the predator away. There are no fences so sheep can wander away and it would be used to discipline the sheep, throw it not quite as hard at the sheep to get their attention if they're wandering close to the edge of a cliff or some poisonous vegetation. It's also used to examine the sheep. This is Ezekiel 20, 20 talks about 
passing under the rod. Sheep have a lot of wool. You can't see what's actually going on with their bodies. You don't know if they're bruised, if they're cut. You don't know if they've got parasites and insect bites all over them. And so a shepherd would use a rod to separate the wool so he could actually see what was going on with the sheep. The staff, that's the iconic piece of equipment for a shepherd, long slender stick with a hook or crook on the end. It was used to rescue a sheep. Maybe if it's in brambles or thorns, you could reach in and pull one out. Used to guide a sheep. You press the end of that staff up to the, on the side of a sheep to help steer it and move it. And this was interesting too. He said during uh, the, I think it's the spring when, when sheep are having babies, shepherds will move through this flock. You got multiple moms having babies at the same time. And the shepherd will use the staff to pick up these newborns and put them with the right parent. He doesn't want to touch them because then they'll smell like a human and the, they may be rejected by their mom. But just picking up these babies with their staff to connect them and draw them close to their mother. You can think of all of the parallels. You don't need, necessarily need me to do that, to think of all of the ways that Jesus guides us and he rescues us and he disciplines us and he examines us and he protects us. He is our good shepherd. So step way back, broad picture here, broad brush painting. Jesus wants to lead us to the heights. And you can define that in lots of ways. I think John 15 is a great picture of where Jesus wants to lead us into this ongoing, abiding relationship with the Father, where we acknowledge and live in our dependence upon him and in his sufficiency for us. You can think of that in lots of ways. We want to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we want to love others the way he's loved us. We want to walk in, again, dependence, or we want to abide. We want to be conformed in the image of Jesus. All of those are different ways of saying we want to li- Jesus wants to take us to the heights of relationship with the Father. And an element of that journey is walking through dark valleys. So on the mountains, these valleys are dark. It's just, it's just topography. It's because the sides are high and the sun only shines in them a few hours between Around, around lunchtime, like you, you get that, you've been in a valley before. For us, those dark valleys, I think that it's part of what it means to follow Jesus. He will lead us through those. It's in those dark valleys that our faith is strengthened and deepened. You can think of those dark valleys in a couple of ways. One is spiritually speaking, and I think Jesus intentionally leads us through these spiritually dark times. Those are times where our relationship with the Lord feels like work. Uh, Maybe your prayers feel stale. You read the Bible, and it's like reading the dictionary. You don't, when we're in corporate worship, you're, you're thinking these are songs are silly, or there's not, there's just no connection for you at kind of an emotional level. You're, you don't sense God's presence. There, there are no, no goosebumps, no, no feelings around your relationship with God. It's a dark season. Jesus intentionally leads us into those, and it's not one time in your life. I think it's, again, it's a regular feature. It's the way to the heights because it's deepening and strengthening our faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. It, when, when we have all of those um, supports. We've got the emotions and we've got the feelings and rainbows and butterflies. Faith kind of fades to the background. You don't need a lot of faith because you're experiencing so much with your eyes and with your senses and in terms of where you're living. 
faith almost becomes, in a sense, and, and hear this for what it is, it almost becomes secondary because your experience of God is so strong. It's in the times where that experience is less tangible and less intense that faith becomes more important. To say, well, I know that God is with me even though I don't sense that he's with me. I know God is leading me even though I can't really tell where we're going. I know God is at work even though I don't see anything changing. That's not naivete. It's not, you know, it's not some kind of blind optimism. That's trust. You're trusting that the things God says are true even when you're not experiencing them as true. That's a dark spiritual valley. There are also dark circumstantial valleys, and we're going to differ with each other theologically around this, and that's totally fine. For some people, and you may be one of them, you would say everything that happens in your life happens because God willed and ordained it to be so, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, whether that's pleasure or pain, joy, or suffering. And so for you, you would say, Jesus leads me into every one of those dark circumstantial valleys because everything that happens in my life is because he wants it to happen. Sickness, death, frustration, suffering, all of those things come from the hand of God. And, and there's plenty of people that believe that, and that may be you, and, and there's, that's, it's fine. It's not where I land. Where, where I'm going to land is, yeah, there are times where God will lead us through a period of difficulty, Oftentimes, the suffering in our life is the result of our sin or the sins of other people. Oftentimes, it's the result of living in a fallen world. Oftentimes, it's the result of the work of the enemy. I don't necessarily think that Jesus leads us into those things, but I certainly think he leads us through those things. And, and that, the result is the same. When you're in that valley of dark circumstance, Jesus is with you in the midst of it. Whether you think he led you in or, or he's just going to lead you through, the, again, functionally, it's the same thing for us. He's going to get us through those things in those dark valleys, spiritually and circumstantially. He's with us. And David says we don't have to have any, we don't fear evil. So you can think of evil as wickedness. I think that's probably too narrow a definition. Think more in terms of any harm, any injury, any difficulty, any trouble. I think that's probably what David had in mind when he's thinking about himself as a sheep. He experienced difficulty. We talked about that last week. He had at least a decade of his life where there were multiple attempts on his life. Saul attempted to kill him five times or eight times, kind of depending on how you count. He was led into exile or driven into exile, had to live in the desert and living in caves for a long stretch of his life because he was running from Saul. He knows what it is to, to kind of live through a dark time where there's trouble, where there's difficulty, where there's potential for injury and harm. And he says, you don't have to fear any of those things. Why? Because the shepherd's with you. Jesus is with us. He promises to be with us, we'll say kind of physically in terms of location. Psalm 139, that's there behind me on the screen. There's no place that we can go that Jesus is not. God is omnipresent. There's no place physically, geographically. There's no place relationally, emotionally. You can think of that literally or metaphorically. There is no place where you can go or where I can go where God is not already. Everything is available to him. There's no place he doesn't go. Jesus also says in Matthew 28 that he'll be with us till the end of the age. So through all time. So in all places and for all times, Jesus is with us. And so we don't have to fear injury or harm or difficulty or danger in these dark seasons. When you're thinking about these dark seasons, there's three primary enemies that keep us or that desire to keep us from walking through the valley. 
that desire to keep us from getting to these heights. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Intuitively, you have a sense of what those things are. The flesh, it's your sinful nature. It's that part of you and that part of me that desires to do my own thing, that desires to get my needs met my own way apart from God, that wants to call the shots and be the boss. And that, that's, a, that's a part of us. It's our, again, flesh or our sinful nature that it, it seeks to derail us, particularly in these dark valleys. The world, that's maybe a little bit more difficult to define, but again, I think you have a sense of what it is. It's, it's all of humanity in rebellion to God. Not morally neutral, but a negative. It's, it's our culture and systems and attitudes and values, behaviors, perspectives, all of those things that are under the dominion of Satan and therefore opposed to God. Again, this is not morally neutral. It's the world that we're trying to avoid. And again, you have a sense of what that is, although it's a little slippery to actually define. And then the devil, powerful fallen angel opposed to God and all God's works, seeks to steal and kill and destroy God's people. Primary weapon is deception. Jesus says when the devil speaks, he lies and he's the father of lies. That's a primary way that he seeks to wreak havoc in our life is by getting us to believe things that are not true. Those three enemies, your flesh, and you've got flesh, just like me, the world, and we live in that, and the devil, and he's alive and active. Those three things are gonna try to derail you from achieving or following Jesus to the heights. And I think we're pro we, we are more prone, more susceptible to the temptations of the flesh and the world and the devil when we're in those dark seasons, when Jesus feels distant, when our spiritual life feels irrelevant, when we're not seeing much fruit. A lot of times it's those seasons of our life when we're the most susceptible to the temptations of the devil and the world and our flesh. And so if you would say in honesty right now, and, and this is not, if you're in a dark season, if it's because of your sin, then repent. But outside of that, Jesus leads us into those things and circumstances happen. If you're in a dark season, I would just say, okay, acknowledge that and recognize, hey, I may, I may need to be a little bit more aware and a little bit more alert. I may be a bit more prone to temptation from my flesh. I'm not getting any good feelings from God. And so I may be tempted to go try to get them somewhere else. I may not be getting a clear sense of direction from him, so I may be tempted to go get that from someone else. I may be tempted in those moments to believe the lies of the enemy. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't listen to your prayers. God doesn't have a plan or purpose for your life. God can't be trusted. God's not looking out for you. Those types of things, maybe again, we're maybe a bit more susceptible during those dark seasons. When you think about the rod and the staff, they extend the reach of the shepherd, if I can say it that way. If you can throw that rod like a, like a spear and you can throw it hard and you can throw it accurately, then maybe instead of, you know, my arm is whatever reaches three and a half feet or whatever that is, it could reach 20 yards or 25 yards or 30 yards. Even a, a, a staff, that's five or six feet tall, can extend my reach to, to grab a sheep that's in brambles or in thorns. So this metaphor breaks down. 
but hear it for what it is. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He extends his reach through three primary things, the church, the spirit, and the word. Those are the three primary ways that he extends his reach. Those are what, what I would say, if you're thinking of the staff and the rod, what is that in the hand of Jesus? It's the word and the spirit and the church. That's how he disciplines. That's how he guides. That's how he rescues. That's how he protects. That's, that, that's how he examines us. It's through those three entities, through those three dynamics, if you like that better. The way that we engage with the word and the spirit and the church, those are the primary ways that Jesus is going to extend his reach from where he's seated at the right hand of the Father into our lives. It's a, those are the primary ways that he's going to use to discipline us again, to protect us, to guide us, to rescue us, and to examine us. I'm not going to go through all five of those things and how those three dynamics play out. That would take way too, although we do have till 145. So we probably, but for the rest of you that aren't waiting on a middle schooler, this is what I want you to hear. And this is where I want to encourage you here, beginning of the year. What would it look like for you to grow in your depth and in your interaction and in your experience with those three dynamics? When you're thinking about the word, that's the clearest revelation of who God is. All of it, yes, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is the exact representation from the Father and he is presented to us in those four books primarily. And so as you're reading through the Bible, recognize this is God showing himself to you and to me. He's saying, here's my character and you can know my character not just by what I say, but by what I do. Look at my actions in history and you can draw conclusions about what kind of God I am. And so as you're reading the Bible this year, I want you to ask before you sit down and open it up. This is different than you do with any other book. You say, God, I want you to speak to me through this. Reveal yourself to me through this. Help me cover this gap, cultural gap, linguistic gap, historical gap that's so large. In places of the Old Testament, you're talking about things that were written 4,000 years ago. 5,000 years ago, help me overcome that gap to understand the truth of who you are and what that means for me today. I want to know you as my good shepherd. And I can see what that looks like based on how you treated your people for centuries. So give me eyes to see that. I don't want to get bogged down in things that right now are not super helpful for me. Would you open my eyes to see the truth? And sometimes it's still going to be boring and you're still not going to get it. But there are going to be other days where light bulbs come on and you begin to see things. And, and the point is not to wring every bit of meaning out of every verse. You're going to read it again. It's to say, what is there here for me now? And to incorporate that truth into your heart. You may, not be, you may be a memorizer and that's great. You may not and that's great as well. But are the truths that you're reading, are those things being planted in your heart? And, and over time, they'll form you and shape you. If we're not reading the Bible... and we're not getting to know God better. That's just it. If you're not reading the Bible, then you're not getting to know him better because the primary way that he reveals himself to us is through the Bible. That's, I'm not beating you over the head. It's just, that's just the reality for us. So let's grow in the word. Let's think about growing in the spirit. The greatest gift God has given to us is he actually lives within us. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. 
One of the greatest differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament, pre-Jesus and post-Jesus, is the giving of the Holy Spirit to all of God's people as a permanent possession. He takes up permanent residence in your heart. God lives within you. Like, get your mind around that. The infinite God who created everything that we can see and everything that we can't takes up residence in your little bitty body and delights to do so. Do we take advantage of the fact that God lives within us? Do you intentionally yield yourself to him every day and say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? That's part of his job. Would you lead me more deeply into the truth? We talked last week about the right paths and the wrong paths. Would you lead me down the right path? Would you convict me when I'm walking down the wrong path? And remember, he doesn't shout, he whispers. And give me a heart that's sensitive to your conviction. That's where that sin nature comes in. Our sin nature wants to walk down the wrong path. And so we justify and we rationalize. We compare ourselves to people who are living more poorly than we are in order to justify our rebellion. Don't do that, I would encourage you. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you and ask God to give you a heart that's sensitive to that whisper when you're leading, when you're beginning to, to, to walk down the wrong path. For some of us, that's the confidence. I wanna grow in confidence that Jesus manages my life well. The reason I don't follow him in all things is because I don't like where he's going or I don't trust where he's going. Over the course of the year, I hope you can grow in that and I can too. Are you asking the Holy Spirit to fill you and to empower you? That's part of what he does. Again, one of the greatest differences between the old covenant and the new covenant is the engine for obedience. And the new covenant is the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who moves us to obey. It's not just up to you and your willpower. Paul says in Galatians 3, you foolish Galatians, Who's bewitched you, having begun in the spirit? Are you trying to finish the work in your flesh? And a lot of us do that. God, give me my marching orders for the day, and then I go off and try to make it all happen on my own. Instead of recognizing the ongoing empowerment of the Holy Spirit, give me grace, Holy Spirit, to love the Father and the Son with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give me grace to love these people who are standing in front of me that I'm interacting with on a daily basis. Give me grace to love them the way you loved me. Asking for that power to do that. You still have to make some choices for sure. You're not a robot. He's not going to pull strings. But he does empower us. He cooperates with our will, strengthening our will so that we can make those righteous choices. Are you asking him to do that? That's one of the ways that Jesus extends his arm into your life through the word, through the Holy Spirit, and then through the church. And I don't mean the 350 of us who are sitting in here this morning, what we do on Sundays is incredible and it's excellent and I'm glad you guys are here. And hopefully you're engaging with God. That's our hope more than anything else is we hope that you experience the presence of God. That's what we want. We also recognize that when it gets to kind of the nitty gritty of living life, you're not living life with 350 people. Are there a small handful, three, four, five, six, who know you and who you're committed to engaging with on the deepest level, being transparent, saying, see what's going on with me. I'm not gonna put up a mask. I'm not gonna put up a front. I'm not gonna put up a facade. And being vulnerable, speaking to me. I'm not just gonna let you know what's going on. I'm actually gonna allow you to have some input, to have some influence, to form and shape my attitudes and my actions. 
You're, the, you're, you're one of the people who can tell me when I'm off base. You're one of the people who can tell me when I'm stepping in the wrong direction. Like that, do you have those three or four or five or six people? Can you cultivate that relationship this year? For many of us, when we're in that dark season and Jesus feels distant, the greatest gift is a friend. Someone who embodies the, the presence of Jesus to us. You can hear the voice of your friend. You can feel the touch of your friend, even when you can't hear the voice of God or feel his touch. Are you a part of that, of the church in that sense? Do you have those life-giving relationships? If not, let's begin to ask the Lord, God, bring me into relationship with those people. It may not necessarily be the people you're going to go on vacation with. And maybe it's a different kind of friend. It's a heart friend. You may not have a ton in common with them in terms of uh, what you do on the weekends. But it's someone who, when you get together with, again, you're willing to share your heart as are they. And it's, it's a relationship that's not necessarily based on mutual uh, enjoyment of the same things or mutual activities or having kids in the same age and stage. It's not based on that necessarily. It's a heart level connection and it's a brother sister type relationship. And you can ask the Lord for those and he'll, he'll get them to you. He'll work you into those relationships. They're risky, but they're worth it. So again, stepping back, Jesus wants to take us to the heights The paths that he takes us oftentimes include dark valleys, times where our relationship with him feels like work, not not lots of warm fuzzies and goosebumps. We can feel distant from him. Sometimes that's spiritually, sometimes it's circumstantially, sometimes it's driven by circumstances, sometimes it's, it's both. In those moments, our faith is being deepened and strengthened. We're having to trust and one that we can't necessarily see, one that we can't necessarily feel, and maybe even one we can't necessarily hear. He's with you, even when you don't know he's with you. But we can be vulnerable in those moments as well. The flesh, the world, the devil are going to attempt to... Pick one, as long as it's not the right one. And what Jesus is wanting to do in those moments, he's wanting to comfort us, not just with his presence, but again, by the extension of his arm into our life to protect, to discipline, to examine, to rescue, to guide. And he does that primarily through the word and through the spirit and through the church. Amen. Here's how we're gonna close. We're gonna take communion. The way we do that here at Stonebridge, you'll come forward a row at a time, break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. We have gluten-free communion and the prepackaged communion if you would like to take that. This is what I want you thinking about as you take communion. Remember, when we say remember, biblically, we don't just mean recall. We mean recall and allow that recollection to shape your heart now. And so as we are remembering Jesus' death and resurrection, we also want to remember his promise to always be with us. And this is a tangible reminder that he is good that his word is good, that he's faithful, that he's true. For some of you this morning, you are in a dark valley and we wanna pray for you, that you would remain faithful, that God would lead you through, that you would continue to walk. 
I do want to, this is a bit of a tangent, but I, I want to grab this specifically. Some of you are grieving. If you think about that classic way of understanding Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's a, it's a narrower understanding that the term is probably better understood, dark valley, but grief is a part of that. It's one of those dark valleys. And some of you are grieving. And we want to pray specifically for you. The two temptations that we have when we're grieving. One is to get stuck. I don't mean this in a callous way, but we can wallow in our grief. Jesus wants us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we say, no, I think I want to set up camp here. And we can do that, particularly if it's somebody we love, because we think we're honoring their memory by doing that. I'm not going to tell you how to grieve, but I'm going to say getting stuck is not healthy. You can walk really, really slowly, but you need to walk. And if you know that about yourself, you're like, I'm getting stuck in this. It may be grief of a, a lost loved one. It may be grief from a lost relationship. It may be grief from a lost opportunity. All of those things need to be grieved. We, have a tempt, we, can, we can be tempted to get stuck. And others of us, because we don't enjoy any negative feelings, when, that, when those losses come, we just run. How quickly can I get through this? We distract ourselves with busyness and activity. We don't take time and kind of sit in the difficulty of the loss. We just move ahead and there's plenty of things to distract us. Not healthy either. You don't want to get stuck. You don't want to sit in the valley. And you also don't want to run through the valley. You want to walk. And so if you're grieving something today, we would love to pray for you. Nobody's going to tell you to get over it. Nobody's going to tell you to hurry up. All they're going to do is pray that you would know the comforting presence of Jesus as you walk through the valley with him. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. But I would say special invitation for those of you who are grieving a loss, a loss today. And getting prayer doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It's just a recognition that those are, those are long stretches for us and they can be confusing. And we want to pray again that you would know the presence of your good shepherd. So I'm going to say a prayer. And then we're going to read a prayer of acknowledgement together. Then Bo will come up, lead us in worship. We'll take communion and you can receive ministry. So if you're helping with communion and uh, ministry, you guys can go ahead and come up and I'll lead us through this prayer. And you can pray with me if you're willing to do so. Jesus, we thank you that you're a good shepherd. We're thankful that ultimately where you're taking us is to the heights of relationship with the Father. And we also acknowledge that that means at times walking through dark valleys and I pray that I would be, and you can just personalize this, that I would be faithful to you in those times. I want to acknowledge the temptations of my flesh, of the world, and of the devil. And I pray that you would give me eyes to see those temptations for what they are. The allure of the wrong path versus what at times feels like the rigor of the right one. I'm grateful for the gifts of your word and your spirit and your body. And I want to take full advantage of those gifts. Would you help me grow this year? As a, as a, a feeder of the word, imbibing your word, internalizing it as one who keeps in step with your spirit, as one who lives in community with the body. I want to thank you for your death and your resurrection, Jesus. I'm thankful for this tangible reminder 
that your word is faithful and true. That if you said you'll never leave us or forsake us, then you won't. If you said there's no place that we can go that you're not, then there isn't. I pray for me, and you can again personalize, I pray that for me that as I take this bread and this juice that it would be more than just a physical act. I want to open myself up to your grace and your mercy this morning in every place where I need it. God, I I want to pray specifically for those who were grieving this morning, the, the loss of a loved one, of a relationship, of an opportunity, of a dream, of a job, of their health, whatever it is. I pray that they would know the reality and the comfort of you walking with them through that dark valley. Would you minister that truth and comfort to them, Holy Spirit, as they take communion as well. In Jesus' name. All right, we're going to read this, and then we'll, uh, we'll take communion. Y'all read along with me, if you will, or pray along with me. Jesus, as I take this communion, let it be to me a reminder, a recalling of past facts that will influence my present perspective and behavior, that you are always with me, even to the end of time, that you never leave me nor forsake me, that there is no place I will ever be that you are not there too. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 